Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Merry Christmas. One more time, Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas to those of you here in the sanctuary, as well as those of you worshiping with us online. Um, We're excited about Christmas here at City, and uh, this morning, the message is going to be part of a series that we are utilizing throughout Advent. It's entitled, The Word Became Flesh, and this morning, we're going to take a look at Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. If you were to look at the Advent calendar... This morning's idea in Advent is peace. It is peace. And so what we're going to do together now is what we do every single Sunday morning, and that is stand together. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer out loud together. Because this is the prayer of the kingdom of God. It is not just an example of how to pray. It is the prayer of the kingdom. So we're going to pray it out loud together. Are you ready? Are you guys ready? Out loud together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Turn, give your neighbor a fist bump, high five, hug, handshake. Take a moment to greet one another. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we are going to take a look at the Gospels of Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. If you were here last Sunday, Trish Moya preached a brilliant sermon on the Annunciation to Mary found in the Gospel of Luke. You see, of the four Gospels, only two Gospels mention the Nativity, only two. Matthew's Gospel mentions Joseph's perspective. Luke's Gospel mentions Mary's perspective. And of the four Gospels, again, only two even mention the Nativity. And the Nativity is never found again anywhere in the Newer Testament outside of Matthew and Luke. Conversely, the death, burial, and resurrection takes up to half of all four Gospels. And the resurrection of Jesus is found in almost every book of the Newer Testament after the Gospels. I am not saying that Christmas is not important, but what I am saying is Easter is the point of the Christian faith. I know it's not as much fun in America as Christmas is, well aware, but I want to say this as clearly as I can. You would have never heard of Christmas if it had not been for Easter, never. Now, with that said, What we're going to do is we're going to look at Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. Again, this deals with Joseph's perspective. Last week, Trish Moya preached on Mary's perspective found in the Gospel of Luke. 
Now, as always, if you've been a part of City, you know the following. The Gospels are written in such a way as to where you are called to insert yourself in the story. And so what I have done for the past entire week is I have sat with the story we're getting ready to read. So here's the reading for this morning. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. Here we go. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Again, whenever you read the Gospels, you are to read them as though you are present in the story. And so all week, I have done that in reading this story again. Now, this is not a complaint. It's just an inside view of a pastoral reality every Christmas, and it's this. There is shockingly little data in the Bibles, in the Bible about the birth of Jesus. There actually isn't much. And every year, every woman and man that preaches goes into those two stories, and you think to yourself, I've got to come up with something new every single year, and there's not much there. And this goes for five to six weeks. So again, this is my 36th year of preaching on the birth of Jesus. And so what I did again this year is I just kind of sat with this story. And when I did, I felt like God gave me several thoughts. Very simply put, God gave me several thoughts, and I'm going to inflict those on you <laughs> because they were deeply meaningful to me. Now, one of the things that God had put in my heart about Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus was really reinforced at 3.45 a.m. this morning actually 3.43, and it was this. At 3.43 a.m. this morning, a text rolled in from a friend of mine at City Church. Here's what the text read. She is perfect. And then wife's name was inserted, is amazing. More later. You see, this was a text thread that had begun at about 10 a.m. the morning before, or that, yeah, on Saturday morning. And it was because a very good friend of mine here at City, who had come to faith through City Church, 
He and his wife, who were newly married, I was the officiant of their wedding. I got to serve. It was wonderful. She was taken to the hospital and in labor. And so at 3.43 a.m., I want to read for you again the text that rolled in. She is perfect, meaning the little baby girl that was born. Wife's name inserted is amazing. More later. I'm sure there is. As a matter of fact, there's a lot more later. A lot more. But you see, one of the things I felt like God put in my heart for this year's reading for us, and me specifically, is that this is a true story of two people trying to figure out what it looks like to walk with God. It's a true story. And again, last week, Trish preached a brilliant sermon on Mary's perspective. And this week, we're going to look at Joseph's. And so the first thought that came to my mind that I'm going to present to all of us is this. What excerpt or episode from your life would you choose to define the totality of your life of faith? What would it be? And here's why I kind of posit that question is because we know almost nothing about Joseph. He's in every nativity drawing, in every carving, Joseph is there. But we know almost nothing about him. What we know is this, is that he is engaged to Mary. Mary gets most of the ink when it comes to the birth of Jesus and the nativity. Luke's uploading of the nativity is far longer than Matthew's about Joseph. But what we know of, this episode is the episode that tells us everything we know about the faith of Joseph. It's this episode. And so what would that episode be from your life? Being blunt, I couldn't think of one for me. And yet this is all we get for Joseph. And the text tells us is that Joseph, in the midst of this angel speaking to him in a dream, the scripture says, but after he had considered this, after considering divorcing Mary quietly, we're going to come back to that in a moment, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You see, the gospel tells us and Matthew tells us that Joseph was afraid to take Mary home as his wife. Why? Why was he afraid? Well, and I've preached this before. I've preached before that he didn't want to take her home because he wasn't really sure if what she had said were true. So in other words, why would you start off a marriage on one foot knowing that something that is this huge may or may not be true? But what's fascinating, that's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible says at the beginning of the story we just read that Mary has conceived of the Holy Spirit. And then an angel in a dream comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, you know what? That story that you've heard is true. 
But it doesn't mean that he ever doubted it. It's just that the angel in the dream is saying, you know, trust that. And then it goes on to say, don't be afraid to take her home. Now, I'll be completely honest as to why he would have been afraid to take her home. First of all, the text says he was a righteous man and he had made a choice to divorce her quietly. And the reason why, in the ancient Jewish world, there were two ways to get a divorce. One way was, was where he would bring witnesses, bring her out in public, publicly shame her, and make a public spectacle of her life. Now, if you're a thinking person, though, you're going, they're not married. Why are we even talking about divorce? Well, here's why. In the ancient world, how it worked was, was that my parents would have met with Fran's parents when we were very, very young. They would have brokered a deal, and it would be legally binding. And the only way to call off that engagement would be to go through a divorce because it is legally binding. Joseph has made the decision that he's not going to divorce her publicly and have witnesses and shame her. He's going to do it quietly. But he's still going to cut bait and run. And the reason why he says he's trying to do it quietly is because he's a righteous man. Here's the thing. The world in which they live, which is how the Middle East is today, it's an honor-shame culture. And the sexual purity of the young women of the village determines the righteousness of everyone that lives in the village. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just telling you that's how it works. And so for Mary... To be pregnant outside of wedlock and come up with this odd story that she is conceived of the Holy Spirit would have clearly meant that she would have faced incredible shame, if not the loss of her life. So here's what the text says. The angel of the Lord comes in a dream to Joseph and says, don't be afraid to take her home as your wife. You see, Joseph knows when he takes her home to his village that people are going to know that she has conceived of a child and it's not his. Now, with that in the back of our minds, what I would like for us to do now is realize the call of God and what's being brought to his life. What God is asking of him is huge. By the way, the birth story of Jesus is not a Hallmark card at all. It's a a story of God stepping into a messy world in a way that seems messy in and of itself. But why is that so important? Here's why. Your life is messy too. Let me repeat that. Your life is messy too. So is mine. And if the birth of Jesus in the world had been a clean-cut Hallmark card, somehow that would be different than the complicated reality that all of us live. The next thought that came to me was the following. In a world of megaphones proclaiming a doctrine of self-importance, self-promotion, and selfishness, Joseph's Christmas decision 
to take Mary home as his wife reminds me again there is another way to live. You see, in the world in which we live, we are called to be incredibly self-centered, to be phenomenally self-promoting, to be people who are filled with self-importance. That's how you find peace. That's how you get ahead. That's how you get yours for yours. And yet somehow, we see Joseph standing as the first person after Mary to respond to the birth news of Jesus and his way of doing life reminds me again that I do not have to live filled with self-importance, self-promotion, and selfishness. You see, the call of God for Joseph is a life-altering decision. This is not babysitting for a neighbor. This is not auditing a course. This is a lifetime commitment of raising Jesus who is not his. The other thing is, the angel says, take her home and marry her. If you are married, you know marriage alters your life. But the reason why Joseph is called to marry Mary is because of what's going on in her womb. It's clear. You see, Jesus is the center of the story. Next thought. Interestingly, Joseph never speaks. Instead, he is an example in the kingdom of God of how actions speak louder than words. My profession, my calling, at times is accurately announced as a house of words. What you say matters. How you explain something from the scriptures matters deeply. But there must come a point where we go beyond words and we begin to put feet to our faith. You see again, nowhere in the Newer Testament does Joseph ever utter a word. Instead, he is an example in the kingdom of God of how actions speak louder than words. Next thought. Joseph's trust in the call of God is lived out to the point of laying down his own plans, his own comfort, and even his desires. We live in a culture that preaches a gospel that you are to let no one tell you how to live your life. True freedom is when you are freedom to make, free to make every choice for yourself. We live in a culture that says, avoid suffering at all cost. Pursue comfort. And then especially with your desires. No one but no one has the right to tell you how to express those. And yet my Bible tells me that the parting phrase of when Joseph says yes to take Mary home, that he does not consummate the marriage until after Jesus is born. In every feasible way, he has altered his plans, his comfort, and his desires for the kingdom of God.
Now the next thought. Could Joseph's life be an example of how true peace is found in this world? Could it be? Could it be that Joseph's life is an example of how true peace is found in the world? And if you have lived your life for yourself and been as selfish and self-promoting and self-gratifying as you could possibly be, if your desires have run every way and no one has the right to tell you otherwise, I want to ask you a question. Has that brought you peace? And be honest with yourself. If it is not, I believe in the kingdom of God and through Jesus, there's a way to find true peace. True peace. Next thought. Joseph shows me how the life of a Jesus follower is to be lived. It is about being cast in a supportive role of playing second fiddle of blocking for someone else, for those of you who like sports metaphors, of blocking for someone else, passing the ball to someone else, and then cheering for him. Cheering for him. How do we put feet to our faith with this message? It's actually quite simple. It's about putting ourselves in the story and putting feet to our faith and looking at the life of Joseph who never says a word, not a single word ever uttered from his lips. And yet it's how he lived, the first person after Mary that says yes to Jesus being the incarnation of God in the world. It's how he lives his life. Would you stand with me as we close out our time together? Could you take a moment to close your eyes in God's presence? I don't know where you're at in your journey of faith. I don't know if you're kind of looking over the wall at faith, you're kind of checking out who Jesus is, or you've said yes to Jesus and walked with him for decades. Wherever you're at on the continuum of faith, I'm going to read for us again if you would now close your eyes but open your hearts in God's presence. Maybe for the very first time ever, you would just allow a little fissure of a crack in your heart to open and the truth of who Jesus is begin to shine some light into your heart. Maybe for the first time ever or maybe for the 10,000th time, you've considered this story with an open heart. What I want to do is read again the simple thoughts that God put in my heart to present to my own life first and then to all of us who hear this message second. Eyes closed, hearts open. Joseph never speaks. Instead, he is an example of the kingdom of God of how actions speak louder than words. 
Joseph's trust in the call of God is lived out to the point of laying down his own plans, comfort, and desires. Could Joseph's life be an example of how true peace is found in this world? Joseph shows me how the life of a Jesus follower is to be lived. It is about being cast in a supportive role of playing second fiddle, of blocking for someone else, passing the ball to someone else and then cheering for him. There's one other passage that's important as we close. And it's what the angel said to Joseph. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Would you along with me take a moment in God's presence and consider again the chaos of our lives and the sinfulness of our lives and know that this story brings us peace. That if where you've been and what you've done or what maybe has been done to you is something that brings you shame and heaviness and weightiness of soul. Just know that Jesus came into this world to forgive you and to cleanse you and to set you free. Will you, as we proclaim the name of Jesus through worship, open up your heart and give your life to him?